We're on a mission from God. Wendy? So I got that going. Darling? Looks like I picked the wrong week to quit sniffing blue. Light of my life. We enjoy your films. I am a human being. I thought they smelled bad. On the outside. Welcome to Vintage Video, where we'll be reviewing every major film release of the 1980s in real time. I'm Patrick O'Reilly. I'm Jesse Bayliss. And I'm Richard Wells. And today marks the 40th anniversary of the release of Simon on February 1st, 1980. It was written and directed by Marshall Brickman and released by Warner Brothers. The movie starts as a mockumentary for the first like five or ten minutes. Which is great! It was really funny, yeah. I mean, I really wish they had actually stuck with that style throughout because I thought I was like really entertained by that introduction. Yeah. I don't know if it needed to stay in that mode the whole time, but I would have. It would have been cool to at least come back to it sure. later in the movie. Sure, um, but I just liked. I mean, I liked the style of it. it. Reminded me a little bit of the like um, man bites dog kind of thing. Yeah, where it's also very sleeperish, which uh, yeah. Marshall Brickman also wrote, so that makes sense um, for Woody Allen. Uh, which is a connection to our last film because it's another frequent collaborator of Woody Allen's. Um, but uh, so, yeah, it starts as a mockumentary about this bizarre think tank. Right. The Phoenix Foundation. <laughs> yeah, basically. Uh, no, there's these five loopy scientists um, and they, through some like bureaucratic misstep, have been granted unlimited funding for whatever dumb project they yeah, it, come up with it, it's like what's that actual like genius grant that people can the get the macarthur genius grant yeah it's like it's like something like that it's like that but an unlimited one um, right but in, but instead of like actually studying things that were supposed to help the world become a better place they kind of just went off on their own yeah, little tangents because they have no oversight so they're just kind of like Let's just do elaborate pranks yeah, instead. You know, you know what's more interesting than solving world hunger is, you know, like mixing humans and cockroaches. But they also do seem to stay on top of like proper science. Like they seem familiar with other like famous scientists. They mention a few over the course of like the film that they're like, oh, did you read so-and-so's new report? And they're like mentioning real world scientists. Mm. Um, so they're, they're at least like aware of what's going on in the actual world of science. But here they're doing... A bunch of silly stuff. Well, and they cast like the nerdiest like actors that right. they could find to play the scientists, which I think is great. It's almost like, I mean, I, as much as I do not care for the Big Bang Theory, it's almost like that this was like the template sure, for the maybe. Big Bang Theory. And I, I am familiar with the work of four of these five actors that they have playing yeah. the scientists. Um, one of them is Austin Pendleton, which I actually wouldn't be surprised if that role was originally written for Woody Allen. Mm-hmm. And ended up going sure. to Austin Pendleton. But I think Austin Pendleton does a great job. Um, I really like him. Uh, and then we have Alf Dad. Well, <laughs> I mean, you should tell people, you know, you'll know Austin Pendleton from the Muppet movie. Right, yes, <laughs> of course. Short Circuit. Oh, no, the Muppet movie. No, he's the he's the CEO of the Nova Company in Short Circuit. He, he paid for Johnny Five to be alive. Um, but yeah, so the dad from Alf... Who was also, I think, the boss on Norm. Did you ever watch that show? I never watched Norm. It's actually really funny. Um, 
Norm McDonald's sitcom. Yes, I, I know what Norm but, is. Thank but you. But I'm just making sure. <laughs> what I like, like about him is... It's like he, that spinoff of Cheers that no one ever heard of. <laughs> what I like about him is that he always sounds like he's just about to get caught doing something. He He's always like, oh, God. Oh, Jesus. Oh, like, oh, I think this is delivery. a good idea. Yeah, his delivery of every line. You're going to like this. Uh, what if a spaceship lands and extraterrestrial steps out? What happens? What is it? What happens? And what is the effect on the population? What is it? Panic? Is it hysteria? Is it depression? Is it mass suicide? Is it war? Is it the end of war? Is it religious revivals? You see what I'm saying? We could find out. Oh. Fake it. And especially towards the end when he has a little hissy fit. Kills me. He's very, very funny in this. Um, and then we also have, obviously, Wallace Shawn, who's like, you know, sort of a Stephen Tobolowsky. He's everywhere. Um, people probably know him best from Princess Bride. Inconceivable! Or Toy Story. But I don't want to use my hands! As Clueless Rex. Clueless, Clueless. Yeah. Travis Birkenstock, 38 tardies. By far the most tardies in the class. Congratulations! Thank you. Incredibles. We're supposed to help our people! Starting with our stockholders, Bob! Who's helping them out, huh? Yeah, he's all over the place. Um... And uh, William Findlay, the tallest, who kind of looks very uh, like mid to late 70s Donald Sutherland mm-hmm. here, um, uh, he is a frequent collaborator of uh, Brian De Palma's. He's been in six or seven Brian De Palma movies, but yeah. most notably as the, the Phantom, Phantom of the Phantom Paradise. Of the Paradise. Yeah. Um, and uh, so these scientists, uh, the, and the fifth guy I don't really recognize from much. Yeah, yeah, that's the, uh, the giant. Or gi- yeah. giant? J-A-J-A-N-T? I don't know how to pronounce it. It's Just... a one-word name, J-A-Y-A-N-T. Oh, yeah. I was saying giant, but it, it might be giant. It could be either way. I don't know. I don't know. He looked like our our, our token ethnic smart guy. Was that the, Maybe. the one it... that looked... He, he might yeah. have been Indian? I'm yeah, it's sure. his only movie. Yeah. Oh, is it really? Yeah, this is Interesting. his only um, uh, so after the scientists, after reading that over 60% of people believe in aliens, decide that they're going to basically stay, stage an elaborate like War of the Worlds type situation. Right. Um, and they're going to find someone who was orphaned or... Well, is, he, he, is he an orphan or is he, was yeah, he, he abandoned at birth? Well, he, he isn't. Well, I mean, what's, I, what's the distinction? An yeah. orphan's parents are dead, aren't they? Well, I think an orphan doesn't doesn't this have their a, parents. Does, I don't doesn't know. I mean, okay. yes, your parents might be dead, but they might have also just abandoned you. <laughs> yeah, right. But you're not an orphan if you're 40 and both of your parents die in a car accident. Where you are an orphan, but you're not abandoned. Is what I'm saying. That's the difference. Yes, I know. But it's like the it's like the you know the square rectangle thing. I think that right. I'm, if I'm you're not... abandoned, you're definitely an orphan. Okay, but if you're an orphan, you're not necessarily abandoned. Correct. That was my question. Yeah. Yes. Is he a tortoise or a turtle? That's my question. <laughs> <laughs> it's um, not the same thing at all. It's the same thing. <laughs> One is a subcategory of the other. Is that true? Isn't, I isn't thought... a tortoise a type of turtle? No. One is on land and one is like a aquatic. How does that Perry Grip song go? <laughs> <laughs> a turtle lives in water. A tortoise lives on land. A turtle's not a tortoise. It's not hard to understand. Yeah, so they, uh, they go to their supercomputer. Doris. Doris, who is essentially a giant iPhone. Well, and and I, I feel like like later on this is like... And, and it, 
It's weird because I feel like this movie had like a lot of interesting things about it that inspired other things, but I also feel like no one ever saw this movie. I think so, a lot of it is stuff that just didn't make it into Sleeper. Yeah. That he was like, what other visions of the future could I squeeze into this weird science well, movie? Well, because Doris is also very close to Gladys as far as like a, a type of name. Sure. And and just the whole notion of this like computer system that's pretty much in charge. Yeah. Because it's already made the decisions of things for them. Right. Um, but I, I I don't know why it was shaped like a giant phone with the the buttons or TV screens. I don't know, but it's it's very prescient of them to yeah. say like, oh, the first AI will take the form of an enormous phone. Mm-hmm. And not only that, but like the way the buttons are lit up, it looks like apps on a screen on mm-hmm. a phone because it is literally a monitor on the phone. Um, but yeah, so Doris tells them, oh, I found the perfect orphan for you guys. His name is Simon Mendelssohn, and he's... Uh, what is he? He's an assistant uh, professor at some university. Yeah, he, and he's trying to figure out some kind of big breakthrough that he can, so, some something big to to give him note. Right. Well, it's weird too because I think he, he's an assistant professor of psychology, but we cut immediately to him getting to a classroom and talking to kids, and he has this very like wide ranging, grandiose, like lecture that seems to have nothing to do with psychology he's like telling them uh about how like different concepts came up in the world Mm -hmm. and and it's like a true knowledge is knowing that you know nothing or whatever yeah but it's also just like you know you need an idea you need to, to 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 find that that one thing to change the world right you need an idea he like keeps harping on that idea but in his free time he's obsessing over sensory deprivation Mm-hmm. And he's built like a, he's Jerry rigged a crappy sensory deprivation tank in his office from from the shipping container for, for a, a coffin. coffin. <laughs> yeah, it was like a coworker's uncle died, and he's like, "Hey, can I keep that box? You can use that And he literally just like lined it with hefty bags and filled it with water as his sensory deprivation chamber. And he's got like a counterweight on a rope so well, yeah, that it'll it's hold like the it's, door open. Mm-hmm. Well, and it's and it's suspended so that right. it's yeah. And and his his. Uh, colleague and girlfriend, we'll just right. say that that's what she is. Um, is Lisa is very much against uh, him doing any of these crazy experiments that he's doing because she's had to go through several different rounds of this. Like he took a bunch of mescaline or something, yeah, and, <laughs> and she had to like sit with him and clean up after him. Um, but yeah, so she's like, "Why are we doing this?" And then some other guy comes in to help them out that he right. like hired to assist. Right. But because um, he wants to go in for eighty hours, yeah, he wants to break the record of fifty hours by going in for eighty hours, and he comes out after like forty-five seconds. Yeah, he's like, "Was I in there for the full 80? <laughs> yeah, he's like, "Oh, you just went in," and he's like, "Oh, wow, it was amazing what it did to my brain." And then like the machine breaks down. Yeah, I don't even gets... know why there's any moving parts to this at all. Yeah. Well, it sprung a leak, and he and he gets out. But why and... is there like a running engine? on a sensory deprivation tank. It should just be a container of water, right? Well, it might be uh, the pump that filled it with water. Oh, maybe that's what it was. And then, then. it sprung a leak and and, then, and and hit the electricity. And as he's getting out, he, like, yeah, grabs, he, leans he on touches it. it. And so he just gets, like, electrocuted. He very nearly electrocutes himself. Um, and then later that evening, Austin Pendleton's character, Becker, shows up at his office and is like, I think you're a bona fide genius. <laughs> it just cuts to him getting on a helicopter. Like, that's all he wanted. Yep. He just needed someone to come and tell him he was smart. And he's like, all right, I'll do whatever you say. Um, so they take him back to the facility, which is actually the 
the Bronx Development Center, that building. Did you uh, ever figure out what it was from? No, no. It just it just looked like a really familiar building, and like you know, I thought maybe it was Nova from Short Circuit, because again, because I'm just looking at Austin Pendleton. But then sure. you had mentioned the Manhattan Project, which would have been an interesting connection for the because director. Marshall Brickman also directed. Yeah, that. but it wasn't that either. Okay, but it, there was it was very similar to both of those buildings, but it wasn't necessarily either one. Um, but so yeah, they take him back to that that their think tank. Um, and they assign him an assistant, uh, Dr. Cynthia Mallory, played by Madeline Kahn, who he's very judgmental of at the start. And she keeps like listing off all of her doctorates and all the different places yeah, he was that she very, studied. Yeah, he was very condescending. And yeah. then like basically they used his profile to like pinpoint every last thing he'd want in, yeah. you know, in a woman. Or and a then beyond assistant. her intelligence, she, she makes the point that her new book is entitled a comprehensive history of oral sex techniques illustrated and it's been proclaimed a masterpiece by both norman mailer and bess meyerson um and i love that even even with this information he can't help but like judge her or criticize her and try and figure out like he's like oh who's your publisher like he's like trying to judge her on that even after she like explains you know it's, it's already people already said it's great people who matter said it's great already well, and then he goes, well, we'll try it for a week. Yeah. You know, see how it goes. <laughs> yeah. Um, I, I think it's interesting that, that Madeline Kahn is, is chose or got involved in such such a smaller she's part. She's only in like the first third of the movie. And and she had done several movies, including movies from Mel Brooks uh, to this point. This is pre-Young Frankenstein, though. That was 84. It's got to be post-Blazing Saddles, It's though. post-Blazing Saddles. Oh, those were the same year. Uh, high Anxiety. Uh, so it is post-Young Frankenstein, then. I think, well, I think Frankenstein was... It was mid-80s, early 80s? No, Young Frankenstein and, and Blazing Saddles were the same year. Blazing Saddles was like 89 or 79, wasn't it? Yeah, 74. Was it That's really 74? Yeah, you're right. Patrick's right. They're both 74. Oh, no yeah. kidding. Because it was... Uh, I, I know people refer to that as like 93 for Spielberg because he had Jurassic Park and Schindler's List in yeah. the same year. But like even like the Muppet movie and the Chief Detective. like you know, she, had, she had a lot of stuff under her belt. She was no... Like it just seems like I don't, it almost seems like this was like a favor. She did a favor yeah, for someone. Yeah, that's possible. Um, but yeah, so uh, I think the whole reason that they brought her in is because they need someone to get close enough to her to get samples of all of his bodily fluids. Yeah, <laughs> they were never totally clear on which bodily. Yeah, fluids yeah. I'm not likely. even sure what they do with his bodily fluids later in the film. It's very confusing the way they set the scene up. Well, I, I think that it. Well, they. Because they said, like, we need to get his, I think they said three major fluids. They said three, three major, major fluids. And they're yeah. like, which ones are the three major? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, I, was trying to... I think there was a consensus on two. <laughs> <laughs> and then we were like, this is blood, sweat, or tears for number three here. Well, I was, oh. was going to go with bile. So oh, that wasn't case, even so that's, that's, that wasn't even my list. Like, okay, so now we have more to choose seven from. Fluids. <laughs> you know, like, well, you, you, you're talking about, like, the humors. Like, you have, like, you know. This is a comedy. <laughs> <laughs> nice. See, it sounded like a smart joke, but I'm just stupid and I don't know. <laughs> he is basically enamored with this woman. They give her like a script of ways to talk to him about like, if you talk about death, he's going to think about sleeping with you. So tell him stories about your family and people dying and all this other stuff. And uh, they basically talk him into a sensory deprivation tank for what he thinks is a test run. But then they leave him in there for like eight days um, after they've already collected all of his fluids. Mm-hmm. 
Um, and so they're like, okay, these are the three fluids. And they like put them in ice on like a tray that was well, like it for was food. like the champagne yeah. ice. <laughs> they're like eating off of the same tray where the, all these fluids are in vials. Um, but then there's like, I like that there's just kind of like a montage of them doing other like minutiae other like filling out reports and just having like meetings and stuff while he's in this tank the whole time yeah and he's just going insane meanwhile yeah. inside the tank they have they have the audio coming out and he's, yeah he's just like some taking on different characters yeah. and like yeah he's being very strange oh weird shoes a thousand pardons sire i am but a humble surf when they finally let him out of it uh He's kind of like catatonic a little bit at the start, and then he very quickly like pantomimes the entirety of human history. Yeah. Well, he starts he starts with just these little fidgets, and you you know like, yeah. you know is the audience who just think, oh yeah, okay, he's just coming too. But he's they're like, like, oh no, he's like he's regressed through all of evolution, and so he's, he's slowly, like a single cell organism right, yeah. right, right. now. And then and then all his fingers start moving, and yeah, he's like okay, he's like, he's like, like one finger stage, is like right. a flagella, and then <laughs> yeah. he's like wiggling his fingers like he's turned into a squid and then he like crawls out on land and he he does the whole 2001 a space odyssey like yeah. recognizing weapons so he like literally acts out the whole like smashing that whatever taper what was the animal and well well yeah well in the he just he like finds like a bone yeah and he's but what, are the, a what are the animals that the monkeys are killing in 2001 i think it's a oh, taper is it it might have been i have um, no idea but he just smashes it and then he throws the bone up in the air like the monkey does in a movie. And then he lives through like the Neanderthal age. But yeah, but they do like the, the chart. Right. Like, they do like, like a the whole like frame. the straightening to right. Homo erectus. And then for some reason, you know, although we've gone through hundreds of millions of years, he does for some reason like the last hundred years, yeah, you know, like he does a bunch of little dances He does the Charleston stuff, or something. Yeah. <laughs> He's just like, like you can count out specific decades, decades right. in, the, in the dances. <laughs> Um, yeah, and then he's like suddenly he's like shouting speeches, and mm-hmm. but it's all gibberish. He's not talking in English, and then he gets to the present and he collapses, and then they put him in the hospital. Right. Um, then this is where they have to implant the memory of him having been an orphan and left on the planet by an alien. <laughs> they made a very elaborate diorama. It's yeah. a convincing model, I think. Um, it's only a model. <laughs> yeah. Um, but so they, they wheel him up to it and this weird like boob-like glowing glowing gelatinous spaceship is hovering over the street in the middle of presumably Brooklyn somewhere and says like, oh, I'm leaving you here, son you're gonna make the world a better place and he's just like oh well what who are you what am i like what am i i'm basically you're telling me i'm a toaster i'm part machine where are you mother right in front of you darling the spaceship are you in simon i am the spaceship you're just a machine oh thank you very much some gratitude from a son and she says, you're, you're an exact duplicate of the human race and you're going to save everyone. And uh, then she floats away and they immediately like turn him around and turn all the lights on so that he's like snapping into reality. Right. And they try and convince him, no, that wasn't something that you just saw happen. That was a regressed memory that we mm-hmm. just accessed as a result of your sensory deprivation. Um, and then we get this really cool cover of, uh, of uh, Mr. Sandman in Spanish. Uh, that sounded really Oh yeah, cool. I loved that cover. It, it was that really was great. great. Um, 
and uh, they're showing him all of his fluids. Right. Ugh. And I don't, I don't even like, I don't know how they make what they show him. He looks into a microscope at his blood, and there's like <laughs> literally nuts and bolts and wrenches floating around in yeah, it. Yeah, it was a very like Wes Anderson kind of animation too of the yeah, it's of the like stop motion animated. Like, but it was like just like going back and forth. But then they do his his sperm. Yeah, he goes to look at his oh, sperm. Oh, it's like little like, heads with yeah. tails swimming. And it's like little Alan like... Arkin faces on every spermatozoa, and they all like swim right up to the camera yeah. and, and like, look into stop it. Stop motion clay <laughs> animated. They're yeah, really creepy. It looked like a celebrity death match or something. <laughs> and then, uh, and so they put him back in his like little. See, we don't even get what. What is the third? We have, we have blood and we have semen. What? What is the third fluid? We didn't even get to see it there. Nope. Other than he do, oh, he does pee in a yeah, flask and, it comes, and it's green, green. Um, but the, but they're giving him like cocktails of things to make things happen, right? So I'm sure that one of them like concocted thing. If you give him this, his his urine will turn out green, and give him this, and his sperm will grow faces. <laughs> like, I don't understand what he was even looking at in there, um, but so now he's in this like magneto esque plexiglass cage mm-hmm. where they're keeping him safe from bacteria of the atmosphere even though right. he's from earth and has been on earth for 40 some years and and at this point they've made the announcement right that that they have an alien in captivity and they're saying like he claims to be an alien they're saying we haven't confirmed it yet but we're gonna open it up to peer review and everything and uh simon believes it full-heartedly now and is writing a speech that he wants to deliver to the people and he holds it up to like the window and they're reading it like oh boy <laughs> <laughs> this is not, we can't let you say this stuff. Well, and they keep like, he, he keeps trying to talk to them and they keep flipping his audio switch off. Yeah. And every time he, they flip it back on, he's still talking. And like, yeah. <laughs> but the, the uh, what's his name that was the dad on Alpha is like, I think we should let him do it. I think it's a great idea. Like he doesn't <laughs> see the consequences at all. Um, but one of the, like, he, it's just like a list of like random, like, ranty suggestions for ways to change the world one of them was that everyone who's in congress should be forced to wear little party hats whenever they're making a public appearance yeah (laughs) and one of them was like no more elevator music no more elevator music muzak has to go away um if you work at like a nuclear facility any waste that your facility produces you have to take home with you (laughs) and like all these random things but then we get this short clip of um people debating whether or not this is a true like alien encounter mm-hmm. on, right. on dick, dick cabot, cabot yeah <laughs> right but one of the guys is a politician yeah. one and of them is a senator and he's wearing a pointy he's wearing like, a party, party hat, hat. <laughs> which it's like they make it very clear like early on that even though what he says isn't like immediately written into law but people are complying with it because they're terrified in case he is an alien like yeah. they don't know what's going to happen to him so they just go along with everything that he says um, but Lisa sees this on, on Dick Cavett and is like, okay, I got to go down there and figure out what's going on because he's not an alien. And I don't know how they convinced him that he was. Um, so she comes to the facility to check on him. And, and they want this to happen because right. they, they want this interaction with her and him. Yeah. Um, so she goes into his, she actually gets, gets into his room and stays the night with him. Mm-hmm. Um, but meanwhile, the scientists decide what they're going to do is they're going to they're going to flood. His, they they have to kill him because mm-hmm. he's going to start saying a bunch of weird stuff on television and make everything weird. So they're like, we have to abort the project. We have to kill him. Well, because he start, he starts making demands that 
they're and they start losing control because right. no, I've requested full media coverage. I requested it myself, yeah. and they're coming. Yeah, um, and so they decide that what what they're going to do is they're going to gas him with this chemical that makes, brings down your yeah, IQ. It makes people stupid. Which by, are, by 100 points. Right, which um, is really similar to a book that I like called IQ 83. Have I talked to you about this before? No. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's uh, these scientists develop this like virus that that slowly makes people dumber. And it very quickly like takes over the entire world. But these scientists are struggling to solve it as they're getting dumber, like actively getting dumber. And uh, it's just really interesting. At one point, Charlie Kaufman was adapting it into a movie, but I don't know if that's still happening. But IQ it's called idiocracy, <laughs> basically. Um, but that when they go to put the the gas tank up to their ventilation system, Alf Dad is holding the map upside down and realizes mm. at the last second, oh God, no, that's venting to everywhere except for the room that they're in. <laughs> and uh, well, yeah, but that, they didn't actually put it in that one. They accidentally just knocked the, it. Yeah, open. it doesn't matter. <laughs> yeah, they they broke it open and gassed themselves and everyone in the building, um, which uh, conveniently at the same time is being taken over by like a military coup. Mm. Um, uh, so everyone's getting dumber. There's soldiers running all over the building. And Becker goes to talk to the Siri statue, this yeah, yeah. the Doris phone, and is like really dumb and like starts flirting with it, and she's trying to shut him down. Like, no, we're not doing this right now. And he just starts like molesting the phone by like touching it. No, I, I don't I think like... he's ever affected by the gas. Oh, he's not. No, he, he no is... he escaped. He like t- he like held his breath and ran out. I remember he covered his mouth, but then I thought they said it was venting in the whole building. So no, I no, don't no. think okay. so because it didn't affect the soldiers. And he's stuff still either. being a little bit loopy, but maybe that's just the character. Yeah, yeah. and he, he but yeah, but then he he engages in activity with Doris, and right. Doris is like resisting, but then she goes very literal going, phone sex. Yeah, but then she starts <laughs> going, okay, okay, like no, okay, that's good, that's good. Oh no, no, we need to stop. Like the, yeah. the whole like. Yeah, she's like being like resistant, but you could tell that like by the end of it, she's completely consented to what's happening. Um, and then the the uh, Corey shows up, um, General play, Corey, General Corey from the Pentagon, played by Herman Munster. Yeah. Um, <laughs> who? Uh, what did you guys say you always think of? I I, I go to my cousin Vinny first. I go to Pet Cemetery. Oh yeah, 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 Pet Cemetery. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so he, he comes in and he tells Becker like, okay, so let me get this straight. The alien created this gas that brought everyone's IQ down. Like he, he did a chemical attack on you guys. He's like, oh, oh, that's lovely. Yes. That's exactly what happened. (laughs) (laughs) He hadn't even thought of that excuse yet. (laughs) He's just like, oh my God, that's wonderful. He did what? Release the gas. Yes. Oh yeah. That's lovely. Yes, he did. Very. Yes. Who else? It's a goddamn invasion. He's very dangerous. But Lisa sees what's going on. She sees soldiers everywhere, and they're still in his room. And she's like, we got to get out of here. And Simon's like, no, no, no. These people are on my team. It, everything's fine. And then the soldiers just open fire on him. Right. So they're like, they okay, we got to get out of here. Building. So they literally jump off of jump his balcony, balcony and just run off. It's a crazy jump, too. Yeah. Like, I'm sure that the actors, the stunt people had, had like... plenty of landings. Well, you space. don't really see the landing, so... But, but she just drops off the side, and she falls at least, like, a floor and a half. Yeah. <laughs> and then they run past this woman in a big winter coat, and he's like... Lisa, a lady is dancing with a pothole. <laughs> Um, and then they steal a van to get away. And but it's a news a news van, right? Yeah, it's a news van from this think tank, though. It's not like 
something yeah. that someone left there. Uh, it's not like from the film crews that were on site. It, it's actually something that they built at the at the think tank, um, and they drive off to the middle of nowhere in like upstate New York and fall asleep in a greenhouse for some mm-hmm. reason. Um, and when they wake up, like the windows are all fogged over, <laughs> but there's a bunch of people watching them through the windows. Um, and they wake up to basically a hippie commune that it turns out is like this TV guide cult. So they believe everything that they see on television, including that this man is the genuine right. article. Well, they have, and they have some, some weird like religious chants that are like, they have the Campbell's all, yeah. Campbell mm-hmm, Soup mm-hmm, commercial. Good. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm, good. Yeah. Like That's they're in a church. Campbell's Soup is mm-hmm, good. <laughs> um, but the leader of this cult um, is uh, Adolf Green, who was the writer of uh, Singing in the Rain, or right. the, of the story and a bunch of the songs. And his IMDb credits are off the charts because the songs from stuff that he's written have been in thousands of TV shows. Yeah. So there's stuff up until like present day because they use covers of his songs and stuff like that. Um, yeah. But uh, so this character, uh, it turns out he used to be the head of uh, programming at ABC before he <laughs> yeah. founded this cult that's just obsessed with television. Well, it was like he's making amends for all he's done. Right. right. Mm-hmm. But he's literally reading the scripture from the TV guide <laughs> to them. And he's just talking about like, and whoa, Rhoda spun off of yeah. this. And Uncle Milty was yeah. also canceled. Yeah. <laughs> and and thus are we all canceled in the in the end. Um, just trying to make weird like religious implications of being canceled. Um, <laughs> there's this quick moment that I, we didn't even catch it on the first pass, but we went back through it. And when he's telling him that he used to work for ABC as the head of programming, you notice that there's... The hippies are like burying corpses yeah, in the they're background. Dragging, they're dragging the bodies, which like, they never the mention at all. Like, there's no implication that there's like a widespread cause of people dying in, right. in the universe at the time. So this cult is just like a their suicide pacts, or I just kind of just... assume because they're all they all seem like young kids. Like it's, mm. I was kind of assuming that these are like you know it was some sort of. You know, like these kids are killing their parents, and they're just obsessed with television. And it was some weird commentary whatever, whatever on TV is, it's at the never time. Never mentioned at all, right. aside from this one shot where, in the background, you see them dragging a body through a field and then burying it. Um, but yeah, so uh, then suddenly some of the hippies come up and they say, "Hey, you're never going to believe what we found in the van that you stole." And they take the head of the former head of ABC over to the van, and he's like, "Oh my God, you could break into all three network channels mm-hmm. with this you can like hack the network yeah it, it overpowers all broadcasting signals right and so i assume it would be local you couldn't do it everywhere like it wouldn't well, be nationwide well right? no it would be because that's why they keep parking it next to some that big, giant power line yeah yeah like it's some kind of relay station oh, okay so and it and since it it overpowers the broadcasting power of the other networks right it's just you can't turn him off he's on every channel and he's getting what the cult leader describes as more coverage than the president gets. Yeah. Because he's not usually on all three networks at the mm-hmm. same time. Um, and oh. he can't break in whenever he wants. And there's a funny joke, too, though, where earlier there, early in the movie, the scientists are talking about one of their experiments is how they rigged the Nielsen box. Like the right, tissue. yeah. Like, and, they, oh, I can't, yeah. and I can't remember if it was... It's like, oh, this had a 60 share. And it was like, like the Osmonds like, or something yeah. like that. Yeah, like, Donnie and Marie Osmond. And it was, and it was like, 
only fifteen hundred people watched this, yeah. but we made it look like it was the number one show of the night. But but then when like he starts broadcasting and gaining notoriety, there's yeah. like a whole thing like that he gets like so many shares. It's yeah. Like, well, For, we already proved that, that wasn't yeah. even a real thing. But it's also like in the but it was a hundred share. That yeah. was what it's like. Well, yeah, because no there was nothing else. On to but it's watch. but it's also funny because it's in the middle of a montage of like. People saying like, "Oh my God, we've made contact with aliens." Yeah, like this guy is a an alien, and he's here on Earth, and he's here to give us the you know the knowledge of the universe. And all Variety cares about is like the ratings that he got. Like yeah. it's not a headline that this guy's an alien. They're just like, it got a cosmic one hundred share. Like, can you believe it? Because <laughs> um, they have to put a pun in every headline. <laughs> and it's all uh, all his like it's all his grievances with the world. Right. It's all just his personal grievances. Around here is where I realized that this is basically like the premise of this movie is what if Howard Beale from Network was an idiot? <laughs> like in the movie Network, like he's complaining about stuff that is like very relatable and real problems with the world or falling down. Yeah, like. or falling down. But but in this movie, this guy's complaining about like minutia that doesn't matter to anyone or even complaining about things that some people like that yeah. he just happens to not like personally. And so it's just like, what if an idiot had the same power of like, I can just break onto television and complain about whatever I want. Like, like, I love, but like my, one of my favorite jokes of that too is just kind of how calm he is. And he's talking about, and there's the Orange Julius formula. Why is that a secret? I want that formula. <laughs> yeah. He, he gets it. really angry and he wants the formula for Orange Julius. And what of the formula for Orange Julius? The secret white powder that makes it a devilishly good drink. Why is it a secret? I want that formula! And he also, like, it seems like for some of it, he's just, like, filibustering. Like, he's yeah. just sitting there reading a random book. <laughs> and it's just like, why are why are you reading this to everyone? Is this well, important to you that this information gets out? Yeah, I think because he was talking about before, like, it's like, you know, no one talks about, like, these authors or things like that. So I think he was just trying to share taking advantage his... of his captive audience exactly no, it's yeah. exactly it's like it's like when charlie kaufman not charlie kaufman andy kaufman oh uh, right read, yeah read that great gatsby bo- yeah read, read the entire book <laughs> born back ceaselessly into the past and all these people are like i just get up and walk out um but yeah then the other uh the other thing though is that this isn't a captive audience because He's just on television. Right, you could just yeah. so turn the TV the off. The same people who the first time he was on television were like captivated and hanging on every word that he's saying are now like, ugh, like yawning or tired. Mm-hmm. One guy literally pulls out a shotgun and just shoots his television because he's like, this guy can just break on whenever he wants to just talk about nonsense. Why do I even have a television? Uh, <laughs> one of his things is like, he can't have mustache and mutton chops. Yeah, one or the other. Yeah. And then uh, General Corey sees one of his soldiers has both. Is like, yeah, he's like, you got to get rid of one of those. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah, every, and everything that he complains about, we, we get like some subtle implication that it's changing in the real world mm-hmm. because he complained about it. Um, but I feel like he's losing his, his powers. Yeah. Well, because um, he, confronts, he confronts his followers when Lisa's trying to convince him that they don't... She's like, they don't believe what you believe. Yeah. And he's like... Well, no, they listen to everything I say on the network. And it's like, like, no, they, no, they believe everything you. that's on television. It doesn't yeah. matter if he anything said it or not. Anything that's on TV. Yeah. And he's on TV, so they, in theory, believe him. So he, he starts reading them a list of, oh, do you believe in this? Yes. Do you believe in this? Yes. Do you like junk? Yes. Like, yeah. they don't, if it's on the TV, we like it. It has nothing to do with you. And then he's just like, you're like, what's the greatest thing in the world? Disco. And he's just like, Ugh. you can just see Which was it. a big thing in the early 80s for everyone to just shit on disco. Like, it was the worst thing ever. I'm not trying to defend it, mind you. I'm just saying. 
Sure, as, jump on the bandwagon. It's not as bad as freaks and geeks would have you believe. Disco is not dead. Disco is life. <laughs> um, but yeah, so after that uh, humiliating confrontation with his what he thought were his followers, Lisa tells him, hey, I'm pregnant. Mm-hmm. And he says, oh, okay, well, you know, it's going to happen eventually. And she says, you're not mad? And he says, well, no, you could be with whoever you want and... It's not up to me. And she's like, no, no, no. It's your baby. And he says, well, that's impossible. Right. He's, I'm he's an alien. An alien. He's but not going to believe it. It still doesn't screw up the backstory because the mother alien spaceship told him he was a perfect per- replica right. of the yeah. human race. Right. So like, conceivably, we can make he should humans. be able like, to you, reproduce. Like, you can make toasters. But, um, but the implication is that this is solid proof that he's not an alien. Mm-hmm. The fact that he was able to impregnate her. And she says, I just want you to tell me, look me in the eyes and tell me that this isn't your kid. And that's when she basically cuts to the human center of him. Mm-hmm. And he realizes, like, well, no, I love you. And it probably is my kid. And well, this is enough to convince him that he's not my alien. Well, yeah, and I, th- and I think the way she phrased it was that to, to look in my eyes and tell me that I was unfaithful to you. Right, yeah. Tell me that and, I cheated and, on you. And, and he knows that, that she wouldn't do that. She wouldn't do that. Do you, right. do you really think that that's the point where he's, like, done thinking he's an alien? Yes, yeah, I think okay. I think when he says, "You're right, I can't say that," that's when he's saying, "I love you, and I and I trust that you love me so much that you wouldn't make this up, and I couldn't impregnate you otherwise." So that's that's 100 percent solid proof that I'm not an alien, and these people were screwing with me. And that's when he comes up with his plan to get his revenge. Right. So he volunteers better. for a return mission. Mm-hmm. So he calls the military headquarters now in the think tank. And Corey hands the phone to Becker and he says, I want to go home. And he's like, he tells Corey and Corey's like, oh yeah, he wants to go, where does he live, New York or something? And he's like, no, no, home. He wants to go back to space. So they go to an actual launch site. Which is incredible. Yeah, which um, as much as information as I could find was that it actually was um, a launch that was taking off in the late 70s. It was one of the, the... early shuttles i can't believe they would allow cameras anywhere near that thing like that like well, to film a movie well i mean there's not that much that you, you can see from the outside That's... i wouldn't let film crews in my house why would you let them near a spaceship i think what's weirder is that they let them in the elevator the whole way up to the top of the spaceship because they don't actually go inside of it it's literally just the exterior that you would well see. there is a shot inside of it but i'm sure that was a it was, yeah, yeah, that it was that a was sound a stage, yeah, yeah. Um, but but they don't leave the the shuttle on the launch pad for very long, right? It's there like maximum eighteen hours before launch. Yeah, and so the, this this was a very narrow window of opportunity for this production. Yeah, and I don't know. Again, it was probably who, a skeleton crew too. Yeah, and and there's some creative editing here too, where the stuff in the elevator could have been there when the the rocket's not right. there. Like literally, all we see of the rocket is. Um, establishing shots and like inserts panning up tilting up right. and then one there shot one of him shot running of him downstairs running down, away from it yeah, yeah, yeah. And that was the only the one that confirmed that oh this isn't stock footage yeah yeah some some of the footage was clearly like shot before and some of it when during the launch but to be fair the guy that we see run down the stairs past the rocket it's not just alan alda's head he's wearing a mask so it could have been literally anybody from a skeleton crew mm. running past the thing mm. Uh, Alan because, Arkin. or what did I say? Alan Alda. 
no, not Alan Alda, Alan Arkin. Well, but well he wasn't there either, though. <laughs> and I and I know like now they they're no, they're no longer launching. Maybe up. it was Alan Alda. We don't know. <laughs> we don't know. His face was obscured. Uh, they no longer obviously launch space shuttles anymore. But this is also it's interesting because like we grew up in a time when the main booster of the space shuttle was orange. Yeah. And it's not because it was painted orange. It's just because that's the material they make it out of is orange. They used to paint it white. Yeah. And in this version, it's still painted white. And they help, you know, obviously they stopped painting it because it's adding like hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of pounds. And every pound that you send into space costs hundreds of thousands of dollars. Yeah, exactly. So they realized that we could save a lot of money and put more cargo and have a better, better load if we just don't paint these things. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so... Uh, Becker, for some reason, is foolish enough to escort him directly into the rocket. So he to, goes to strap him in. Yeah, for some he goes reason. up the elevator with him and across the bridge. And then when they get inside of the spaceship, um, uh, Simon basically like buckles him into the driver's seat, straps him down, gets on the on the communications, and says, "Hey, this is going to be my last communication. I'm all ready to go." And then he hangs up, turns off the machine, takes the microphone, and leaves. And leaves the guy strapped in the in the driver's seat of this rocket, and then just runs away. Yeah, and and Becker is trying to like just give dig dig into him any chance he get. He says like Madeline Kahn's character. It's like you know she was she was just an actress. She didn't she didn't actually believe in you or care about you at all. Yeah, and he's like okay, like he doesn't care because he didn't he wasn't like in love with her or anything. Mm-hmm. He's been in love with Lisa this whole time, um, and he's past being embarrassed by what these people have put him through. Um, so. Becker is presumably launched into space to his own death. Yeah. Like, I don't I don't know what they pointed this rocket at. They say he's from the Orion Nebula. Yeah. Which I'm assuming is because it's this Orion is an picture. Orion picture. Well, um, I mean, it, I also think it's kind of strange, though, that they just kind of assume, just like, oh, yeah, that guy we sent up there to strap him in. Like, he's out of there, right? Like, we got we got him down and Yeah, out they didn't and... check with the guy that came back down. <laughs> because he's like... li- there is a dude, you know, like, who, regardless of which one it was, there's a dude on the launch pad running away from the thing. Like, yeah, maybe when give, it him launches. Some, give him a moment to get further away from the yeah. space shuttle. But when, when I forgot to mention, when, when he first mentions that he wants to go back on the rocket and go home to space and he's like um yeah i'm gonna take him to the rocket and they're like oh can we go on the rocket like wallace sean is like i want to go on the rocket and he's like no you you can't go on the rock this is gonna launch him into space he's gonna be gone forever and they immediately just start bawling because they still have their iq deficiencies and they're just like oh i wanted to go on the why can't i go on the rocket i want to go on the rocket on the rocket can we go no, no, you have to stay here. And while I'm gone, I want you to behave. <laughs> What's the matter, Leon? Well, I want to go on the rocket ship. No, doctor, you cannot go on the rocket ship. I'm sorry. Now, while I'm away, I, w- I want you to stay out of trouble. Uh, when they launch, uh, it goes from being the space shuttle to just like a saturn 5 right like a early apollo mission or something like that it's not even not even a it's close whatever, match it's whatever yeah. stock footage they could but find i mean presumably they launched rocket. this rocket yeah so saying they from don't that have place why wouldn't they get they didn't footage? get stock the day that they shot the rocket on the on the i guess it would have been for further away either way 
Maybe yeah. they just maybe they shot it. They had some second unit, and it just didn't look good. So they were like, "All right, we're just going to use some stock for this." No think, one's going to. I think know. there's plenty of news footage of spatial rocket launches, but no, they're not famously photographed or anything. That's not a big <laughs> thing. Um, but yeah, so then we kind of fade to, I don't know, months later. Who knows? No, it's and, a couple years. Oh, it's a couple years because yeah, the kids, kids the kids yeah. born and grown, and uh, Simon and Lisa and their son are sitting on a blanket in the middle of a field. And uh, Simon, like, gets up to walk away, and on the radio, Lisa hears that he just won uh, the Nobel Peace Prize for saying that you can't replace paper towel dispensers in bathrooms with hand dryers or something like that. Well, I think the implication is that all the little things, all the obnoxious little things that he was railing against that people started to change made the world a peaceful place right and and the guy says something to that effect like yeah. and then it brought up morale enough that you know the, oh, just, now everyone's nice to each other yeah mm-hmm. it's like we're also ruining the planet compared to what <laughs> we were doing with the i like i forget uh who tweeted it but one of my favorite tweets was like uh one of those the wind-powered hand dryers is a really fun way to waste four minutes before drying your hands on your pants. <laughs> <laughs> but those things supposedly like spray the germs back up. Oh yeah, you. no, it's much worse. Yeah, it's not. It's not hygienic. It's not sanitary, at all. but your hands will be dry. If you want to save the planet, stop washing your hands, people. What? It's no. just gross. That is, uh, vintage no. vintage video does not condone the lack of hand washing. No, you know what? Please wash it. your hands, everyone. I, I hate when a bathroom is only partially automated. It's just like, oh. Wait, I'm sorry. Which parts do you want to automate? You reach in there and take it out yourself. <laughs> like the toilet flushes by itself. It's like, okay, the sink runs water by itself. But now I have to touch the soap dispenser. But then some places will have the soap dispensers automatic. But well, I have presumably to the, the people touching the soap um, dispenser are cleaner people in general. <laughs> Or it's like everything's automated except the paper towel dispenser. Yeah, but it's okay to touch the soap because you're finishing the washing after you've touched the soap. And I have to that's open that's the door. Do things. And instead of a door handle, there's just a piece of poop stapled to the wall. And you oh, have man. to pull on that. I saw, I saw a thing the other day that I thought was awesome. It was instead of a door handle in a bathroom. It's a it pedal was, on it, the floor? No, it was just a hook. And so you just hook your arm around the, the, the thing on the door so you don't have to use your hands. See, I saw one where you just run through it. It's like balsa. It's really thin, and you just run straight through it. See, I think the hook is worse, because so many times I run into somebody coming in and out at the same time, and I have my arm twisted up you with just this door. Break it. Just, <laughs> well, just hopefully, hopefully the hook Haggis. isn't on a two-way door, but I'm just saying, because like, the door can only go one way. But that way, you're, just, you're not using your hands, and you're not touching the, all the stuff. Yeah. But anyway, that's where the film ends. Um, there's one really weird line at the end after announcing that he won the Nobel Peace Prize. The announcer says, Simon, who is believed to be living in uh, like Canada you know, or something like that. Yeah, yeah. somewhere in like Canada or, or uh, upstate New York. I forget what he says exactly, but it's like, why do you think that? You guys put him on a rocket and launched him into space. Why do you think that he's living in Canada? I don't understand. Who knows? There, like I a guess, lot of a I lot of stuff since, happened in the meantime. I guess we were okay with the fact that we just launched some scientists into space and Simon's. But what was still the point here. of doing the switcheroo if everyone was going to know that you did it later? Well, I guess it was just his revenge because obviously the the scientists regained their IQ because Dora said it would only last a week. Right, but the but Corey wanted the alien gone or captured. Mm. So, but, but the scientists so, probably must have copped up to that it was wasn't real. 
Yeah, maybe that's I mean, what it was. We don't get an explanation because it's years. But people are still doing what he says, even though they know that yeah. he's just a human <laughs> at this point. But uh, but yeah, I mean, that's that's the basic story. The, the writer-director we said before, Marshall Brickman, um, this was his first time directing. Uh, previously, he had written a bunch of stuff. So he, he has written four Woody Allen movies. I want you to see if you can guess the fourth of these uh, interesting facts. He wrote Manhattan. He wrote Manhattan Project. He wrote Manhattan Murder Mystery. And he also wrote A Muppets Project. What would you guess that that was? The Muppet Caper. <laughs> it's not The Muppets Take Manhattan. <laughs> it was like, I forget what it was called, like Sex and Violence. It was like a TV special they did or something like there that. There was a TV Muppet special called Sex and Violence. <laughs> yes. Look it up. It's on his page. I forget what it's actually called. It's definitely not that. <laughs> and I and I and I do uh, enjoy the Manhattan Project. I, after, yeah, no, after, they're great. After trying... I also really enjoy Muppets Take Manhattan. <laughs> I, that's not so great. Damn it! It's not the worst one. What did we decide was the worst, the worst one? The Gonzo one. one? Oh, oh, you Muppets don't like space. Muppets from Space? Muppets in Space is terrible. It's almost as bad as Muppet Treasure Island. Oh, <gasps> <gasps> yeah, that's. Oh, you've crossed the line, Mister. No, actually, okay. So hold on. I will take Muppet Treasure Island over Muppets in Space for oh, sure. Barely, for sure. Right on top. Oh my god. No, I think for I think sure. it's fifth, and and Muppets in Space is sixth, because oh. I think the Muppet movie is number one for me. No, great Muppet You caper. put Caper above yeah. it, I know. Yes. But I disagree. So I'll put Muppet and then Caper. And then Tre- Treasure Island is fifth. Space is sixth. So Take Manhattan is fourth because it's not great. And then what am I forgetting? The Muppets? The, the recent one with Jason Siegel? No, there was another one before that. I can't remember. Anyway, <laughs> we're talking about Muppet movies. <laughs> um, uh, yeah, Alan Arkin... Uh, this was relatively early in his career. Yeah, because uh, I I don't think I've ever seen him so young. Well, me and Jess were talking about it when we watched the movie that the Russians are coming. The Russians oh, are coming. Yeah. It was his very first film. That it's him and Carl Reiner. It's really funny. You he's definitely like, see that one. He's like the uh, the head of a Russian submarine that like shows up in Maine or something like that, and at right. this guy's house. Well, the whole town thinks that the Russians are invading. Yeah. And and, uh, and so they're trying to like help these Russian soldiers get back to their ship and out of mm-hmm. town because it was a mistake. Like Their equipment was broken, and they crashed on accident. So they're like posing as Americans, and Carl Reiner's like helping them blend in. And It's really funny, though. I also like the... I realize that this is actually older, uh, the 7% solution. Oh, right. Yeah. Uh, I do really enjoy that movie. Um, and Alan Arkin was also, uh, he, he's too much to name really, but yeah, yeah. Uh, Yosarian in Catch-22, uh, PV and the Rocketeer. He was the grandpa in Little Miss Sunshine, which I think he got an Oscar nomination for. That sounds uh, right. He, he's, he won an Oscar. I'm trying to see what he won it for. Little Miss Sunshine. Okay. So he Supporting won. role. Um, and apparently he voiced J.D. Salinger on BoJack Horseman. I just wanted to include that. <laughs> um, Madeline Kahn obviously only appears in the first third of this movie. But like we said, she's been in a bunch of stuff. Yeah, with, yeah Madeline uh, Kahn needs no introduction. Yeah, a lot of Mel Brooks stuff. Um, this movie has a lot of uh, Pixar people in it. So Because Madeline Kahn was a gypsy moth in Bugs Life. Um, and... Hmm. Uh, Austin Pendleton played Gurgle in Finding Nemo. He's one of the fish that's in the tank at the dentist's office. Oh, okay, yeah. And then 
Um, obviously, Wallace Shawn is in Incredibles and Toy Story. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so there's a lot of Pixar characters in this. But Madeline Kahn, I also really like as Trixie in Paper Moon. Mm. Um, and obviously, she's uh, Von Stupp in Blazing Saddles, Elizabeth in Young Frankenstein, Mrs. White in Clue yeah. is another classic from her. Um, Gussie Mouseheimer in American Tale. Yes. <clears throat> and then going through Austin Pendleton stuff, he was in Catch-22 with Arkin. Um, he played Frederick in What's Up Doc uh, with Madeline. Because mm-hmm. Madeline Kahn was in both. There was Her first two movies were What's Up Doc and Paper Moon, which are po- both Peter Bogdanovich movies. I think What's Up Doc was her first movie. <clears throat> and um, yeah, she's great. And then, like you said, he was Max in the Muppet movie. Um, Short Circuit. Howard Marner in Short Circuit. (laughs) Um, He also apparently... Okay, this was another interesting coincidence. So Madeline Kahn appeared in a film called uh, For Love Alone, the Ivana Trump story. All right. Which was like a TV movie based on a book that Ivana Trump wrote about herself. Okay. In what year? Because Madeline Kahn died a while ago. It was a while ago. It was like late 80s, early 90s or something like that. Austin Pendleton appeared in something called a President Show documentary, The Fall of Donald Trump. But that was like two years ago. So it's just interesting that they were both in like weird TV movie projects about the Trump family. Hmm. Um, Judy Graubert, who played Lisa, um, was in 780 some episodes of The Electric Company. Yeah. Um, as a bunch of different characters on this show. She was also apparently in Tarzoon, Shame of the Jungle. Does that sound familiar to you at all? <laughs> what? It does not. Okay, it's a it's a no, French animated movie called Tarzoon, Shame of the Jungle, and it's supposed to be a parody of Tarzan, but it's one of Bill Murray's earliest credits. What? Um, he did a voice of like a reporter or something because it's an animated movie. Hmm. Um, and then uh, I think we touched on all these other uh, credits. Oh, and there was one other actor we haven't mentioned uh, who plays oh. a member of the cult, the TV guide cult that uh, you're familiar with personally. Well, not, I mean, I took... Uh, you knew I, him. I, I've, yes, I took classes with uh, Michael Earl, who apparently was one of these cult members. You know, I went back and... Uh, We're not entirely sure which one he was. I went back and rewatched all the scenes, and I mean, obviously I knew him when he was much older than right. this uh but i couldn't i couldn't pick him out of the the crowd of of you know tv when, cult people when did he pass was it like 2010 or? uh no 2014 2014 okay yeah but he um he has worked on a bunch of muppet stuff yeah he's done um, a bunch of muppet years. stuff so he at, was... the, at the time you were taking the class i think he was saying that he was like at least a backup or a regular snuffleupagus well he performer. had yeah he had previously been snuffy um and you know he had he'd worked on all the the muppet films and you know, done Sesame Street and all yeah. that, and some other stuff too. There were some other cool things in his credits. Yeah, um, he was he was a he was a great guy. Yeah, he is missed. Well, that's the that's definitely the first person that any of us has met that's been in any of the movies that we've reviewed so far. Um, what do you guys think, letterbox wise? Where does this go on your list? You know, I put it uh, I put it second on my list, right after my brilliant career. Uh, I have to agree. Um, I, it, I'm going to do the same thing, actually. So I, I'm. It's fun that we have these two movies in a row that are on the top of the list. But um, yeah, well, I, it's going to start to get competitive now. I think yeah. if it had stayed as funny the whole way through, it could have had a shot at the top slot. Yeah, it definitely, it definitely started really strong and then kind of 
took a left turn somewhere where it didn't it didn't quite stick with the same amount of humor all yeah and when the joke of the scene is that alan arkin's rants aren't entertaining and people are yawning at them then i'm also yawning listening to it so I i think it's interesting too that that this was before the big alien craze I mean, not like that. Obviously, the movie Alien was before this, but I mean, ET kind of sparked like this whole That's like true. renaissance of got to do alien stuff, alien visiting, you know, Mac and me, all this stuff, space invaders. We got to aliens are everything. Aliens are everything, and I feel like this was like ahead of that curve, maybe but too it, ahead, but not so far ahead that it wasn't in response to like the public, like that. I I wouldn't doubt that that survey was true that over 60 percent of americans at the time thought that that alien races existed like i feel like that's something that became popular around roswell and people were pulled on it regularly after that like do you think aliens exist i think the more interesting part of this than him you know going off on rants and pretending to be an alien was the was the scientists and they kind of lost that storyline when they made them dumb Mm mm-hmm yeah, although I really did like Wallace Shawn and, and Alfred crying, crying about not going on the rocket. <laughs> I want to go on the rocket. He was so much like our son Jack when he was when he just yeah. immediately started bawling when he finds out he can't go on the rocket. That was definitely a Jack line. It's like, no, Jack, he can't go on the rocket. <laughs> um, worth watching. What do you think, Jess? Um, oh, that's a hard one. It is a hard one. I I mean I think. If you want to, if if you want to be a, like kind of complete about it, I would say yes, um, but it's on the fence. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I'm making you guys go first because I'm still deciding in my head. Yeah, <laughs> I. Uh, I would say probably a not watch for me. I I think it's a no for me too. Maybe I I did enjoy the film, um, but it gets slower towards the end, and I. I think it's not something that I would put on in mixed company and be like, hey, this is really funny because halfway through I would be embarrassed that I put it on. Oh, yeah. I guess if you put it that way, I would I would put this on as a no. But I it, mean, that's not necessarily the context of the question. Would you put this on at a party? Right, right, right. Saying, is this worth watching? But I feel like if it had stayed consistently funny, it's a definite worth, would watch. And I, I don't think this is, is worth right. your time. But I mean, I think I think that it has some notable moments and some really interesting, sure. you know, like all the actors in here. It's it's a pretty incredible cast. Yeah, it's definitely so a great ensemble. So if if you want if you want to you know pull out those obscure references to you know what these people have done, I mean that's worth watching. Yeah. All right. I think that's about it for this one. Um, if you guys have any thoughts you'd like to share with us, we are Vintage Video Pod on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and Letterboxd. Where, as I've said before, you can find each of our full movie rankings for the year. Please consider rating us on iTunes to help people find the show. And if you find the time to leave us a review, we will thank you personally at an upcoming episode. If you're feeling especially generous, you can also support the show through patreon.com slash vintage video podcast. Thank you so much for listening, and I hope you'll join us next time when we will be discussing American Gigolo, which Wikipedia describes as a neo-noir crime drama written and directed by Paul Schrader starring Richard Gere and Lauren Hutton. We leave you now with the audio for the trailer for American Gigolo. You know who I am. I know who you are. I know what you're thinking. You know what I'm thinking. You want to be here. You want to be with me. His name 
is Julian Kay. So what do you expect? His business is pleasure. Hello, Judy. You're a very sexy lady. Very good-looking woman. You can like me. You can tell. We have a lot of fun. He is the American Gigolo. Hello, girls. How about you? How do you get pleasure? How do you do it, Julian? How do you seduce all these women? Please think you're involved in a murder in Palm Springs a week ago. I'm being framed by somebody. Don't know. You've been identified, Julian. I am in deep trouble. I think you're guilty of sin. Richard Gere, Lauren Hutton, American Gigolo.